Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with representatives of a global multi-stakeholder community. And I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with James Hudson. Hey, James, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Fritz. It's a pleasure to join you today. James, I'm going to very briefly introduce you to our listeners, our audience. You are the CEO of the AI for Good Foundation based out of San Francisco. And that's going to be the main topic of our conversation. So I'll let it up to you to explain what the AI for Good Foundation is. You have your back a background in AI yourself, uh, in machine learning, in data. So you know from a content perspective what AI can do or not do. That's an assumption. But let me start off, AI for Good, the foundation. What, how did it start and what is its uh, ambition? Yeah, so back in 2013, 2014, I was uh, heading up a, a large AI research lab in industry at Bloomberg in, in New York. And we started to, to notice in our interactions with the academic community that there was a pretty broad clamoring to do more to use these emerging technologies for good. And good essentially meant the sustainable development goals, which were an emerging framework back then for understanding what was wrong in the world and what mm -hmm. kinds of aims we might want to have as a civilization. So given that, we started looking for ways in which we might be able to improve the ability of the academic community to build bridges and have an impact. Obviously, the academic community has a bit of a challenge in that it's highly incentivized to publish over impact, right? So it's more about writing papers, doing research and, and publishing results rather than actually building solutions in the real world. Pardon me. <clears throat> Sorry, one second. No, I get where coming from. Uh, academics want to write papers, are forced to write papers. That's what they're, uh, could say, being measured on. But they also want to do good. So we looked at ways in which we could engage the research community. We looked at ways of building community. We looked at ways of uh, building bridges between academics and machine learning and artificial intelligence in particular and all of the other disciplines that are having impact, as well as governments, policymakers, and the broader NGO stakeholder community. Okay. Over the years, we've taken it in a slightly different direction from, from that. And we've had, we had quite a bit of impact building community in, in that way. But fast forwarding to today, we've taken the road of economic and community resilience which is thinking about the way that technology can impact society through the institutional forms that we adopt and also through technology as a, an agent for economic development and transformation. And we look through three specific verticals at this question, which takes us a little bit further from the academic community and is I think a bit more engaging and accessible to, to all as a, as a series of uh, objectives. The first is intelligent societies. How do we build societies that are able to provide for their citizens by using technology to augment societal structures that are beneficial, 
and to enable institutions to do their job better. Second is humanitarian aid 2.0. So when there is a crisis, when there is an emergency, when there is a, a breakdown in certain institutional forms and, and frameworks in society, how do we best support those? How do we best ensure that we can make them as resilient as possible, as decentralized as possible, and as difficult to break as possible? And that involves helping the main stakeholders like the government, the civil society actors, community groups, but also enabling large NGOs like the Red Cross, the International Rescue Committee, the UN, to do their job better on the ground and coordinate their response better on the ground. And the last thing that we focus on is what we call catalyzing innovation. And that's about the entrepreneurial spirit within society. How do we encourage people to innovate, right? And to bring technology to bear across the spectrum of societal challenges. And that obviously fits in with our intelligent society initiative and in that when we work with cities, when we work with regional governments, with national governments, we're encouraging them to use that innovative capacity in society towards problems like homelessness in the Bay Area, wildfire mitigation in British Columbia, access to public health and education in rural Ethiopia, right? So these are things where there are obvious positive benefits to be had from the appropriate implementation and deployment of technology. Okay. But it's also areas where technology is not the primary driver of the solution, right? The human is the primary driver of the solution. And that's our general philosophical approach in, in okay. this space. James, you just mentioned three examples where you're applying AI, uh, um, Canada's states, but also Ethiopia. Um, do you have a global coverage or a global objective? Yes, so we operate around the world. Um, now, I, I would say that North America, Europe, Africa have been our focus areas in terms of actual projects that we've been implementing. Over the last year or so, um, more than a third of our resources and capacity, I'd say maybe closer to a half, have gone into helping Ukraine uh, because Ukraine for us stands as an extremely important bridge between today and solving kind of the sustainable development agenda in the future. Without solving the Ukraine crisis, there is no way to address things like climate change and, well, all of the sustainable development goals in a coherent and, and uh, sustainable way in the future. Okay. Now, how optimistic are you about digital technology as an enabler? Well, I think digital technologies have been an enabler for the last three or four decades in, in many senses. And I think also we have a society today that thinks of digital technologies as a platform for new ideas. Yeah. Um, and as a result of that, I, I think we're in an inevitable state of innovation through digital, right? Digital is the conduit for innovation. However, I don't, I, I wouldn't just stop there. I think we're having a lot of great innovation also in the very, in the basic engineering sector and the basic sciences sector, and also in social innovations in terms of how we 
kind of create institutional forms, uh, which are also extremely important and have digital as their underpinning strategy for reaching more people. So I'm obviously I'm very positive on the potential for digital technologies. Of course, with any technology, you also have to be aware of how you use this and how it has an impact across the spectrum of, of people and uh, and, and uh, governing bodies and institutions. That is what I uh, wanted to go to because I saw on the various initiatives about using uh, AI to solve sustainability development goals. You also have an AI in ethics initiative um, and that at least uh, suggests that you think about a fair application of technology that you're going to keep it safe. Uh, so if you look at those, uh, is that a constraint or is that in self an enabler? Uh, has it helped you? To, how is that helping you or slowing you down? I think it's an incredible enabler actually, because the, the conversations around ethics and, and really it comes down to transparency, right? Transparency okay. and in, involving people in the conversation about what outcomes they want you know, what is acceptable to them and where, what are their problems that they want to have focused on, right? Because I think governments are just learning now how to communicate effectively with citizens in the digital age. And the ethics conversation tends to be more about mismatches in this space okay. rather than about fundamental, you know, um, fund fundamental differences in, in how people want progress to, to happen. Now, by enabling those conversations around the, the ethical questions, and ethical questions usually usually means, you know, how is my data to be used? Yeah. You know, how am I going to engage with this? What resources are being used to create it? What are the expected outcomes? Will it be fair in terms of you know, whom, who, who will see the benefit of uh, these technologies. And that actually I've seen in, in many occasion, occasions has been rather than the technology, the driving force behind then creating appropriate interactions for uh, communities. Okay, um, so uh, am I hearing you saying, James, that by um, using ethical as a basis for design, you're actually giving the people, the users, what they want. Is that what I'm hearing you say? I think it makes it easier for us to really get to the fundamentals and have that conversation when we're putting it in the context of what is right for the end user. And that's really the only difference, right? It's you're, you're having the conversation yep. from the perspective of the end user and making sure that they won't be disappointed with the outcome, but also that they're informed. And the more people you inform about the potential of digital technologies, the more people will try to use them, innovate with them. And actually, I think it catalyzes our use rather than limiting. Okay. Use. Yeah. Now, when you talk about being more informed, uh, what's your, uh, I would say, opinion on the global awareness, I would say, of the non-digital community? Because the people you're talking about who are doing this research I can understand them appreciating this discussion. Well, how about, uh, you could say, society outside this IT community you're talking to and research community? Do they appreciate, or, or, or do you see them welcoming this as a, as a potential solution or as a threat? So actually, they're exactly the people that I'm, I'm talking about. When okay. we work with uh, local government cities, 
and help those cities to understand what technology strategies might be worthwhile to experiment with in their, in their communities. The first stakeholders we turn to, the people that we build the uh, kind of, um, transparency and ethical kind of uh, oversight groups with, are exactly those non-technical people, the end users in the community, the owners of the retail stores, the you know single moms in the community, the people who make use of the community-led public health services, right? Community health workers, education workers. These are people who historically have been left out of the debate around technology and society and getting them engaged is somewhat transformative because we see those people have their own ideas. It's not that they're against technology, but they've got serious problems that take up hours of their time every day that are not being addressed unless we bring them into the conversation. Fair point. So like your approach there, um, how often do you get a question around how accountable is your technology and how accountable are the solutions? Is it an issue? Oh, I mean, this, this is a, a core aspect of the conversation, right? It's uh, accountability of technology today, especially when we're talking about artificial intelligence, which for many is a fuzzy concept. And yeah. it's a fuzzy concept because uh, we have, in some senses, as a community, refused to engage in a meaningful debate around the technology. And some part of that is because we didn't know what the technology really was as we were developing it, right? It was... Uh, you know, how do we statistically determine an optimal outcome given data, right, and some some parameterization of that data? Now we're starting to realize where we can have impact, and it's starting to become easier to talk about accountability of that and transparency of that. Now, as I, as I said before, I think that as we build out kind of the the means of having this conversation, right, the the core arguments for and against certain uses of technology in, in different areas of society, it becomes easier for people to contextualize te technology in their daily lives. And it also makes them more accepting of technologies in daily lives. I mean, if you look at the digitization footprint of young people today compared to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, right, it's incredible, right? We have technology penetration in 70, 80% of young people around the entire world compared to, you know, 30, 40% of older people. So we're, we're already moving into a wave of highly informed and technology savvy um, kind of innovation generation, if you will. Yeah. Okay. And I think that will change the conversation about how we use technologies again over the next decade or two. Okay, this sounds like, an, uh, you could say, on a, when you talk about, okay, how to develop a, a particular solution, it's almost like accountable, accountable by design. Uh, but suppose the technology is not accountable, um, if you see that elsewhere, um, is that something a government can still drive? Uh, uh, and how do you approach that on an international level? I mean, I realize there's a lot of, a lot of questions in one go, but um, any take on uh, what you see happening there? On, on several occasions, we've been brought into uh, existing conversations at uh, kind of national and, and community government level uh, both in the us and and abroad where the reason for getting us involved has been that there has been a risk identified that the community has not been involved in the decisions to uh, deploy particular technology that might 
one example in the US, for instance, is the use of automated technology for making bail decisions in the court system, yeah. right? Um, and, and there's been a lot of blowback um, in the community because of that, because there were no broad stakeholder meetings around this. It wasn't something that was litigated into being, right? So it's not something where a legal precedent was set. It was a procedural change done at the court level itself and in the government without much outside oversight. Our, and, and I see that as, as the major risk factor also in turning the conversations about AI and digital technologies negative because you give people a lot of ammunition to then turn around and say, look, you're not consulting with the community. We see it over and over again that you don't consult with the community. Therefore, we need heavier oversight. We need audits. We need to slow down the pace of innovation. But we don't see any of those conversations happening when we actually have a process around how the community is engaged. So what we do when we come in is create that stakeholder engagement process from the ground up again and be open to changing the way that technology is used in those scenarios. Okay. Now, because uh, you, ra you raise a very interesting uh, point uh, by how you approach this. Um, one of the reasons why the Institute for Accountability in the Digital Age was founded uh, was because UNESCO uh, got a request from the member states, could you please do something about this? Technology is moving much, much faster than the legal framework can keep up with. That's creating an accountability gap. Let's have a global discussion. How are we going to deal with that? What I'm hearing you say is, well, it's actually quite straightforward. We don't have to look at legislation. Uh, we're just looking at the process of delivering a system. So I, I would say that a lot of the issues, the frictions that exist in this space, right, when people are worried, yeah. stem mostly from not having a framework through which these things are being developed and deployed and transparency is guaranteed. However, I would be far from advocating myself for not having additional regulations and proper legal frameworks, because I think ultimately that's up for communities to decide for themselves. Right. I, I think, you know, if if our process were followed in all cases and people expended yeah. the appropriate resources, perhaps you could avoid 90 percent of the kind of big problems that we maybe have started to see developing in the last few years. That doesn't mean that appropriate legal frameworks and regulation are not appropriate, right? It just means that we need to incentivize and possibly um, mandate or regulate that type of process into the, the, the legal framework. Um, so I think the fact that we've managed to experiment and have some success with these conversations doesn't mean that we want to ignore the legal framework and kind of accountability. Oh, no, no, I'm not, than, than I'm not saying that you are saying ignore the legal framework, uh, but um, you have uh, found a solution, similarly, how you can deal with that perceived gap between the analog legal framework and the digital technology by having a process in developing a system. So you, I would say, well, to some extent you can work around the issues, uh, but you you actually 
providing accountability by design by getting all the relevant stakeholders involved. That's what I'm hearing you saying, and which is an, uh, an interesting approach. Yeah, I think I think we found one approach and, and system to doing this, which yeah. for us has worked over and over again. Um, now, of course, you know we're, we're not always involved in every type of implementation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's that's certainly something that I encourage governments to adopt and that we have seen some success with. So, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly positive that there is there is certainly more than just regulation and legal frameworks that need, right? You also need the community to be behind it in any case and, and kind of try to figure out some things for themselves. Okay. Um, hey, good points. Hopefully people will think about that, uh, what, how they could apply that for themselves. A um, little bit of a different topic, uh, James. Um, there are more than one AI for good initiatives out there. And, uh, is that beneficial or is that confusing? I, I can imagine it's confusing for some for some people. Um, and this is an organic area, right? Yeah. It's an it's an area that's grown up over the years. Um, and we've never wanted to or cared about making a claim over AI for good because it's a, it's ultimately a phrase that I think is useful for people mm -hmm. to uh, latch on to. Um, and actually, I think we're very welcoming of as many organizations who want to participate and right and treat it as a community of people who want to use AI for good in this space, whatever good might mean, right, which is okay, obviously something yeah. that we've been challenged on over time. And I've been cha challenged on, on it uh, from a religious perspective. Are we upholding Catholic norms of what is good? And I you okay. know, obviously push back against that because I don't think that good is a normative thing i think good is about where society wants to go and that's for communities to decide for themselves um but actually i you know there, there are as you mentioned two two main ai for good initiatives right there is our foundation and there is a, a wonderful movement out of the itu, the ITU right, yes. uh, in, in geneva and we've had um good relationships i think um on on both sides of that for a while and i think we both benefit from the fact that there is a broader engagement on the topic of, of ai for good and of course you know i would i would encourage that uh, more groups that are interested in in getting involved in this area you know come together and and build a community yeah. out of it i think now actually is probably the best time right obviously you know um, over the last decade or so, there have been many opportunities to talk about AI, but now it's when it's really engaging on a societal level across uh, all different sectors. And I think this is going to be a very interesting time for talking about AI for good over the next few years. Very much. And uh, looking at your background if uh, as an organization, if I just look at uh, who's involved, uh, what I find quite interesting, if I just look at your council members, for instance, there's a lot of academics, startups and industry. So it seems like you cater for a different and complementary community when I look at ITU's AI for Good, which has a lot of government civil servants involved and international organizations. So obviously an overlap, but also quite complementary where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I definitely. I think we we've, we've, we've take... Um an academic and kind of entrepreneurial innovation led approach to all of our programs. 
Uh, of course, um, as I mentioned before, now a lot of our work is uh, in Ukraine, where we've, we've got a lot of experimental programs that we've been pushing out. And we work very closely with uh, the Ukrainian government across this. And um, as, as I mentioned before, we've worked very closely with the Ethiopian government on their digital transformation strategy. We've worked with the US government, Canada, Mexico. So we do try to kind of make sure that we're serving the interests of the public in terms mm -hmm. of social good. Um, but we definitely come at that from less of a governance perspective and more of an how do we create a catalyst for innovation within society that can then help solve some of these problems. And yeah, because uh, that's also another question when you look at the type of solutions. I mean, AI for good does not mean the only part of that, the only solution is going to be an AI engine. There's a lot around that. So what can you identify what are the are, are the generic components outside that AI engine you have to organize? It's AI, I would say, is often the smallest component of the okay. solutions that yeah. uh, that we bring to bear. And now that might be a factor of the way that we've chosen to contextualize our organization. As I mentioned before, we care a lot about economic and community resilience and the economic aspect shines through in the fact that a lot of our academic partners are actually economists. They're economists, econometricians, quantitative researchers in this space. Um, and of course, we have also the AI community and machine learning community that's uh, that's participating at, at that level. But because we have such an economically model-focused view of our programs, um, often it's the design of the institutions that uphold and the frameworks within which we're working and the way that we measure, which are the most important key elements to our program design. I, I give you one quick example of that, just because otherwise it sounds like I'm just mentioning economic buzzwords. Um, in Ukraine, we run uh, the largest needs matching platform. Um, so basically what that means is it's an app. You as a civilian can go into this app, you can find your shelters, your medicine, medical care, food, transport, and you can call for help if you're stuck in a building that's collapsing. On the back end of that, so we, this is demand, right? I see demand and we cover about 60,000 different service locations across Ukraine. So pharmacies, supermarkets, you name it, right? All the shelters. So we see what people need in real time. Now, on the other side of that, we can show governments what actually are the gaps in that societal response to, in this, in this case, a war, but in other cases, earthquake, hurricane, right, social upheaval, whatever the crisis might be, we have a means, a channel to offer kind of a direct lens into the dynamics of supply and demand in a hyperlocal area. And that was the key kind of piece of the puzzle. It wasn't like, yes, the AI engine helps to match people to the best possible place to go and get insulin if they're a diabetic and it's one in the morning and, you know, only three pharmacies operate in the local area, whatever, right? So the AI engine is important. It optimizes that system. But the framework itself is an economic framework, right? It's a way of understanding better the dynamics of that economic system and making it more resilient. And a lot of our interventions fall under that side, right? Where AI is improving the efficiency of the delivery, 
but it's not the starting point of the ideation. Right. And I, again, I think that's about putting humans at the center of the creative process and maintaining right, that oversight so that we're creating something that is serving that community first and foremost. Yeah. And then secondarily, seeing how we can improve its functioning by using data and kind of the latest technology. Okay. Just out of curiosity, uh, for all the projects you mentioned, um, did they approach you or did you approach them? How does that work? Both, both. Um, so, in so so we certainly get approached by governments on a regular basis in order to get involved with policy making, kind of research in the public interest, and also by local governments who want us to help them develop kind of concrete strategies and deployment of technology. At the same time, as we get involved in these types of projects, we see opportunities, right? And some of our framework programs, the programs that we can take and reapply in other areas, basically came out of you know, uh, you know light bulb mo moments while we were working on the ground, realizing, hey, there's a huge problem here, right? A huge problem is when we were in Ukraine and seeing that uh, most of the humanitarian aid was just trucks driving into a city and dropping boxes out of the back, right? And you know, you're like, okay, well, of course, people are going to then be accused of reselling aid into the supermarket because you haven't given it to anybody who needed it right you're just like thrown a box into the city center so you know when you notice these things in real life right when you're operating in these conditions or when you're operating with governments and you sit down with ministerial staff and you realize the challenges that they're facing and then you sit down with the community members and you realize they're not even speaking the same language right then you start to think about how these processes can engage right across that gap um, and a lot of our programs really result out of that dynamic rather than you know somebody coming to us with a specification and us putting a software engineer and a machine learning engineer in a room to solve it for six months got it hey final question james if i may um people who are listening to this and they want to get involved uh, first of all how can they get involved and secondly are the particular skills, people, areas you're, you're focused on and uh, would be interested to uh, bring on board? How does that work? So we, we love to engage across the spectrum, right, as, as I mentioned. Um, in terms of volunteering opportunities with the organization, we have a volunteering intake channel on our website that people can okay. um, move into. Um, we also have opportunities for governance, right? So with our council, as you mentioned, our council is very diverse in terms of the expertise on that. And that helps us to gain um, that oversight over our projects that I mentioned before, right? So when, when we need to get community feedback on the first highest level, we turn to our council because it's people from all walks of, uh, of life with all different experiences. Now, more broadly than that, um, you know, you asked about the different AI for good organizations before. One thing I neglected to mention is we are a 501c3 nonprofit based in the US, and we are not backed by the United Nations in terms of, you know, the way that our funding comes in. So we rely on donations to run all of our programs. Now, of course, we do work with the UN and we have UN funding for some of those, and we work with you know, all kinds of other organizations like also Microsoft and other organizations interested in upholding AI for good. 
but we do need people to come in and also support us as an organization from a financial perspective. So people who do believe in what we're doing and want to support in that way can definitely also get involved and that's very much appreciated. Okay, don't worry, we'll include the, the website, uh, uh, you could say, in the, in, in the podcast so people will be able to find you if they also will be interested to contribute financially, which I understand. Hi, um, James, I want to thank you so much with what you're doing on with AI for Good, uh, your take on uh, accountability and how you can have that discussion with the stakeholders uh, to some extent avoid issues. So uh, again, thank you so much for your time and uh, yeah, sharing your insights. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a very interesting conversation and I really appreciate uh, kind of the candidness of, of what you're trying to do also in this space. You're welcome.